we just take it for granted. We have this thing in our family. Yeah, it's a stress, so but yeah. I spotted the article in the Washington Post as well. It's about how like one family, seven women had worn this dress. I was like, oh, amateurs. Yeah. <laughs> 10 women have all worn this dress. Do you want to see the dress? My name is Siobhan Sweeney. I wrote to Doc on One to tell them about a dress my mother made. I said, are you interested in a dress that's 50 years old and has been worn by 10 brides and never been altered? So Maureen Allen, Deirdre Tai, Siobhan Sweeney, Blahine O'Reilly, Grania O'Reilly. The story about it getting trampled by a cow. <laughs> We've recorded conversations with all ten brides for this documentary. My daughter is very tall and skinny, and uh, I said the only thing we could ever share was a scarf <laughs> and clothing, but we actually ended up being able to wear the same wedding dress. It's like that film, was it The Magic of the Travelling Pants? Uh, Did you ever see that? Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants. Yeah, you just put it on and it goes, oh my goodness, you know, because normally none of us would ever wear the same stuff. We couldn't. We're all from the O'Reilly clan in Lahard, Kilishandra, County Cavan. We don't all live in Cavan, but we all live in Ireland. My name is Orla Tai and I wore the dress in December 21. My name is Maureen Nallan and I wore the dress in August 2017. And I wore the dress last year, 2022. So while I'm telling you about the dress, I'm also telling you about the lives of these women and our family over the last 50 years. People that I can work or ever be asking you, like, oh, where did you get your dress? And I'd be like, do you have five minutes? Because it's not like just kind of name in a shop. Ten women have all worn this dress. Because they're too cheap to buy one of their own. <laughs> wrapped in several towels that have never been used for anything else except wrapping the dresser. So it's white lace crochet and it's number 10 thread so it's very fine. So it's full length, it's straight but what I would have always remembered about it when I was a child was the high neck and kind of made Marion sleeves. It's got these wide sleeves. It's got buttons all the way down the front to the waist and the buttons are crocheted as well. And it's made in squares, about three and a half inches. So the dress has alternating squares where there's a shamrock in the centre of one square and there's a triple layered rose in the other one. And most people made six petals in the roses, but Mammy put eight in. So when we're ironing out the dresses, we have two extra petals. <laughs> Nana didn't have a pattern for this. It started as a top and she was adding bits onto it. She just made squares and put them together, but like the geometry of how it actually works like is, is amazing. Because it's made in these little squares of lace, you can stretch it this way, you can stretch it that way. Or if you have a very small daughter who thinks it's too big in her, like I had, you squeeze it up really tight to make sure the squares don't stretch so you get a very small dress. So like Orla's five foot nine and Sheila is five foot four and the dress fitted the two of them perfectly. You and I were good, uh, no, we were, were size 12s. We were good, good size 12s, we were, yeah, yeah. I call it the feminist dress. This dress has been worn by virgins. 
a mother of two. <laughs> I always give it away for free more. <laughs> a mother of two and a girl who's five months pregnant. That's how accommodating this dress is. My first dance was You and Me by the Wannadies. It was always you and me, always. <laughs> Our first dance was Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. I actually sing it to the baby all the time now as well, yeah. It's like, here comes the sun, do 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 do. You have to sing it in the childish kind of way. It was Love Was in the Air. Ben proposed to me in the middle of the dance floor with her friends, and that was the song. So that was the first dance. Everywhere I look around. No, it started simply because I was in the bank in Ballygem stuff. This is bride number one, my sister Maura. She wore it in January 1972. It was in lovely digs with a lady called Mrs Riley. And one day she brought out a simple spool of white thread and a crochet hook. And she showed me how to make a square. And I showed mum. And then mum started here in Kilishandra and she made a blouse. And I knew I was getting married and I suggested to her, I said, maybe you'd make a dress. I worked in the Ulster Bank. I think she was there about a year and a half when John Allen rocked up the door one morning. John was a GAA star. He is the only man in Ireland to have actually played for four counties. So he played for Mayo, Galway, for Meath and he played for Cavan. And he told us a story about the bank door being opened by this vivacious redhead. So that was their first meeting, I know that. I was a lot younger and uh, we had parted a bit. Well, there was other interferences, shall we say. We kind of got together again at a dress dance. In those days, the bank had those kind of formal yeah. dances in the Gresham or somewhere. And she did her H-tip while she was still working at the bank and taught extra classes on a Saturday morning in Loretto. Apparently he parked the car for hours outside to do, to waiting for me. And she was offered a job in Loretto, but she had decided to go to Africa. In a place called Gandu, 80 miles north of Nairobi, Kenya. I got the Irish Times every week and about 10 pages of a letter from John. So she went off to Kenya for two years and he met her at the airport with a very, very beautiful engagement ring. Mum had the dress made at least a year before it was worn. It was made, it was thrown in the ball, it was in the press, the bottom of the press. And Maura came home from Africa to this dress that was completely grey and she, she just said, oh my God, I can't wear that, it's grey. And Mummy said, ah, that'll be grand. So it was in a bathtub outside, frosty night, you know, which is great to make stuff white. And probably, Mammy had probably rinsed on it, I imagine, those days. Yeah. And anyway, the next day, Maura and Mammy were away someplace and a teapot full of tea and tea leaves ended up out on the dress. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the panic stations were... <laughs> Maureen had done it, so she felt very responsible. But anyway, got it out and got dressed 
perfect. Got it washed out. Never even told them. I don't think we told you, did we? I can't remember. That was grand. So the dress was washed and put up at the back of the house in a place called the Curran Garden, which was away from everything and a little bit high up and behind the house where nothing could get at it. I was hanging on a clothesline to dry and frosty again to make it white. Except the calves broke out of the shed and the calves got into the Curran Garden and walked under the dress. And these are winter calves that have been housed and they're covered in cowshite basically from head to tail and they go under the dress. The whole front of the dress is now covered in green. Back into the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> We had the reception in Longford because it was suited the Mayo people as well. And I remember the menu. I don't remember the start. It was a prawn cocktail and steak and baked Alaska. There were 240 were invited and 200 came because he had been at every wedding in the country. <laughs> and we either had to have a very small wedding or a very big wedding. So let me introduce you to the woman who made the dress, our mother, Sheila Degnan O'Reilly. Our mother was a feminist and believed in independence, for women. in independence and empowering women. She's a very strong personality. She spoke her mind. And was a well-educated woman for her time. Mam worked in Flynn's in Carrick and Shannon, and at the time it was kind of a, one of those huge general stores. It did everything. So on the 22nd of December, the army were camped outside Carrick and Shannon. Dad was quartermaster, and he came in quite late in the evening to place the order for the Christmas dinner with the shop. But I know my mother was quite disgusted by this guy coming in at this hour of the night to expect this work to be done. Obviously, it was done. And then on Stevenson's day, he managed to find out who she was, where she was, and arrived out to Guilty Kearney with a bottle of whiskey from my grandfather, Dominic, and a box of chocolates. And apparently they all said then that Dominic fell in love with PJ and Mammy had no choice. <laughs> they only worked together for about six weeks and he was moved back to Atlone. And somebody else, I think, came and tried to lay claim to her and he got on his bike in Atlone and he cycled back up <laughs> to reclaim. But they got married in January 42. They probably only met about ten times when they married. She went from living like near a large, busy town and working in two very busy businesses to living in a very isolated, small, rural cottage on a relatively small farm. And Daddy was in the army, so she's actually on her own for a few of the first years of her marriage. So it must have been quite a shock to her. Her first real bit of independence came when my sister Maura came back to live and a car was bought and it gave Mammy a great opportunity to develop some independence. So then when the milking was done in the morning Mam would drive the milk into the creamery and then she would stop and have a chat with her friend Mrs Brady in the shop in Gilishandra. And then she joined the ICA and that was probably the first real social contact she had with women apart from her close neighbours between 1942 and 19... 
66, 67, I suppose, really. The ICA used to have debating, and I remember her speaking, and she'd be very much the feminist cause. Just after Mary Robinson was after being elected, and Danny was not impressed. <laughs> and Mammy says, and I'll have you know, PJ, it wasn't just me that voted for her, but your five daughters did too. <laughs> Sheila and PJ, my mother and father, had, from the outside, what looked like a tempestuous relationship. Herself and my granddad would have fought over politics all the time. Like, the rows would get quite heated. When Daddy didn't want to hear what Mummy had to say, his trick was to whistle out of tune, Donald Laboo. He'd be whistling away in the corner. He used to whistle them. <laughs> when you run out of things to say back to her, he'd just whistle. And you know that they were in bad humour. And there was always that thing about her having the leave insert, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> she I had the leave. very proud of the fact. He didn't, but... He was... My granddad was really proud. Like, he wouldn't have liked it that said. But she knew to say it. <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> yeah. They used all means accessible and possible to allow us to get an education. And I do remember the day that... Free education was announced for second level. They actually waltzed around the kitchen. He was very into education and saw it as the be all and end all. Like I remember when I was a child, he asked me what I wanted to do and I told him I wanted to be a secretary. A secretary? All I wanted was a typewriter. <laughs> and he goes, you'll get a better job than that. Like he did believe in educating women, which a lot of people didn't. They educated the sons are in this area. The sons were educated, the girls weren't. But you say if you educate a woman, you educate a family. You know, so we're very lucky in that respect. So bride number two is my sister, Deirdre. John was from Chum in Galway. Oh, John Ty. And he was working in Cavan. In Chagask. And Deirdre was a teacher. We just met at, at a dance in the Farnham one night. So then we started going out together. And there were a house full of fellas on one side of the road and a house full of girls on the other side of the road. We had a great time because there was a whole group in, in those days. There was a great social life great in a small town. But they made a date to meet and Deirdre went over to visit our sister Marie and maybe one of the kids was sick or whatever. She decided to stay on a few days and she broke her date with John. Now, in those days, there was no mobile phones and there were no phones in houses. You couldn't contact anybody. So, like, whatever arrangements they had made, it didn't happen. I didn't get back until the next morning, yeah. So I decided, what am I going to do? And Deirdre was very reserved. But whatever it was about John Toy, very out of character for Deirdre, she went to his house. I probably got advice, you know, from your... We all used to advise each other, all the girls. So I said... Uh, I, I, uh, I took the courage in my hands. And he opened the door and apparently he opened his arms and she walked into them and that was it. I think it was Jim he proposed. I kind of knew it was going to happen anyway. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. <laughs> and I said, yes, of course. Oh, it felt fantastic. Yeah, well, you honest, I knew, like, the minute I met John, I knew he was the one I wanted to get you married to. I think we bought our ring in Navan, actually. Because he was 1982 and there wasn't much money flying around anywhere. <laughs> and girls, all my friends, nobody got expensive rings. I don't think there was ever any discussion, but that Deirdre would wear the dress. And she very simply just got a, a long underslip for the dress and was beautiful on her. 
I think her veil was Maura's veil. Maura's veil was mosquito netting that she brought home from Kenya. And I think Deirdre then took it and stitched it on to a Juliet cap. That I bought probably in Cleary's. The veil was long, it came down over my face. <laughs> it was one of those, yeah. Of those so, I'll show you in the, yeah, the album, yeah. Now looking back, it's a bit like, it's a bit Middle Eastern, isn't it? See, look. It's funny, I remember John Ty talking about that because when she got to the altar, he lifts the veil and he said there was a teardrop on the veil. So bride number three was me. I married Ted Sweeney. Ted was born two miles away from where I live. I didn't know him growing up. I remember seeing him in my uncle's pub, singing a few songs and playing the fiddle. And then he used to work with my brother, help. They used to be working on the farm and stuff, do bits together. He's up in the house one summer's evening and he's saying that he was talking about going to Galway. And I said, you should definitely go to Galway. You love it. It's full of music and it'll be you know, a great place to be and all that kind of stuff. Because I was already in Galway. I was working at the Great Southern Hotel. It was a street just beside the Great Southern Hotel with Matt Cullen's pub and it was all his music. So we went there. Anyway, at the end of the night, I decided Ted was way too drunk to be driving a car. And I had cycled to work that morning. So I put him on the handlebars and cycled home with him. Went off to work the next morning, left him wherever he was asleep on the couch. I used to say, absolutely, had I not had the wedding dress, I would have got married in jeans. There was no way I could near, oh, I mean, no way. The layers of flounces of flares, oh my God, I couldn't have coped with that. I would not have, I would not have bought a wedding dress if I hadn't had that wedding dress. I wouldn't have bought, I couldn't have faced that. <laughs> it was very funny, because I, I, I treated myself to all this nice makeup for my wedding. Now, there was no beauticians in those days, you did your own makeup the morning of the wedding. But we all were saying colouring, and some of my sisters heard I had all this new makeup. So they're all downstairs putting on my makeup, and I'm upstairs. Daddy, get one of those bitches up here. <laughs> I wanted to wear a snood. And my mother's skills at that stage, her eyesight was very poor, but she organised to get it made. You know, it was a net. And one of my nephews said it looked like, like a sausage. <laughs> oh, the dress was amazingly comfortable. The dress, everyone will tell you, they'll all tell you how easy the dress is to wear. It's not constricting in any way. I mean, it's, only, it's as constricting as you make the underdress. Like, it's a glorious piece of work. And maybe all priests say it, but I'm recurring into the church and Father Hurley saying to me, your dress is fabulous. going to this about the preparation of the dress for the wedding and what we had to do was use an old bolster and put the dress into the bolster as a cat because we didn't have a sculptor thing and starch just homemade starch and pins and a toothbrush so you had to in those days you had to brush homemade starch onto the roses and then pin them down Every single flower has to be pinned. Flatten it, pin it, and then starch it so it sticks, and then take out these pins, and blind help do all that. If you put it all together, it probably takes about 30 hours to iron the dress, because it's all the individual roses and petals that have to be flattened and ironed and pinned and placed and everything. And then on the day of the wedding itself, you really need to just be there that morning to sew the bride into the dress once she's ready to go and makeup and hair is done. 
And it's fun in games. Like one bride zip broke the morning of the wedding and she had to literally be sewn into the slip and then sewn into the dress. One wedding, we were moving locations. We were kind of starting our prep in Virginia and then moving to Navin for the wedding. And there was a moment that I realised I'd forgotten to take the pins out of the dress and that takes about 40 minutes. And I was like, gosh, pins have to come out. <laughs> but no, my sisters, they're all very chilled. So after my wedding, the dress was put away. We didn't know if the next generation would like to wear the dress. But then came bride number four, my brother's daughter, Blahine. And we heard, she's wearing the dress, much to all our delight. It was nothing more than a no-brainer. because, <laughs> And I don't mean that. It was like, it was the dress was always there. We always knew that Nana made it. And I really didn't think ever of going out looking for a wedding dress or ever considering I was like, it's great, sure, I'll wear the dress now and that's that. Blind's husband is Shamey. He's Shamey Riley, so Blind is the cure of the measles. She didn't change her name when she got married. <laughs> thing, if, you didn't, if you didn't change her name when you got married, the cure of the measles. <laughs> Fish rug. <laughs> they met through GA. Blind was a, was a real sports star. Kilishandra is a very strong GA time. So a lot of the social life revolves around either Kiltus or the GA in <laughs> Kilishandra. And now walking. I was 25 when I got married. I had both kids already at that stage. So 2002, we got married the 1st of February. The distinctive thing about the dress is the bell sleeve. The bell sleeve was very fashionable in the 70s. Some people might have considered it dated. The dress itself never looked dated. And the three aunts that have worn it and like... They were stunning women. Quite similar but different as well. So you, everybody kind of knew that the dress was going to work with everybody. You just kind of knew. My mother saw Blahine in the dress. On the day of Blahine's wedding, she went in. My mother was in the nursing home at the time and she went in to her. She looked, oh, she, there's a kind of Edwardian elegance about her. You cannot make a mistake with this dress because it just stands out in its own. It's got tulip-shaped sleeves. It's got a high neck. It's, it's got detail that draws the eye. I've seen off the rack dresses where brides that you wouldn't even think look similar look the same when they put on a similar dress. Everyone's looked really different in it. The dress is pure cotton. So literally, it's dried to length. You wash the dress and then you dry it. You try it on the bride with whatever underslip that the bride has decided to wear. And then you iron to fit and sew it to your underslip. It's lace crochet, so it's very heavy and it will stretch as the day goes on. So what we do is we call it mounting it. So you stitch it down the way. You don't stitch it across because you stitch across it'll wave and you know so you stitch it onto the under dress vertically and you try to hold it in place. It's kind of all very strategic the stitching depending on the slip as well. One of the brides wore it with an open back so very scooped and it was beautiful that you saw all the flowers and the design and detail. Another bride wore it open at the front so it was very much deciding where best to stitch so it wouldn't move and would keep what they wanted 
to show. Blaheen stitched the collar down the morning of my wedding. The, <laughs> the videographer's like, what's happening here? And mum goes, uh, Blaheen's making sure Sheila's assets pop. <laughs> The next bride, number five, was Grania. Grania's husband is Cahal Collins. They were both working in the matter, but there's also a very strong shared interest, football and sports in that family as well. To be honest, I was quite carefree. You know, it's so big now to get everything done and spend so much money, and I wasn't big into getting the fake tan, really, or the hair and makeup. I was just like, I'll oh, do whatever you need to do. <laughs> Grania said she was going to wear the dress and we would have to get the underdress made. But there's a girl in Kutail, she's really good at boning dresses. You know, these dresses that almost stand up on their own. She's made six of the underdresses out of the ten, yeah. Well, I like the kind of ritual of sometimes we go up and we have a meal and I like that part of the ritual. It's almost become a posse of us all up to Kutail to all give our opinions on this underdress. It's wow. a kind of a, a girly get-together and seeing how is it going to look on this person because it's been on so many people. The, the day growing, yeah. yeah, I sat down and cried on the couch that day up there. I was thinking about my mother. You see, in some ways, the dress is almost a symbol of her dogged determination, you know, to just get on and do it and keep doing it and keep going and keep going and keep going. She suffered lots of adversities in her life. I suppose that generation, both male and female, struggled. Like, we think we're struggling when we can't get a second holiday in the year, you know. I'm sure they struggled to put shoes on our feet and I doubt they ever worried about getting a holiday. Though in later years, they really had a good life. They were taken care of very well. You know, brought on holidays and brought places and that kind of stuff. And my sister-in-law, Marie, was an angel to them. But then my mother and father had taken her mother in to live with us as well, so the example was there already. Grania got married in Italy. It was a really small, intimate wedding. It was only immediate family. Both Carl and I are from Cavan as well, and like that, if we got married in Cavan... Cabin weddings are huge. And at the time we were getting married, you couldn't have a wedding without 300 people at it. Carl was a cabin footballer and everyone in the club would be there and then everyone, I'm from Kilachandra and everyone would be, you couldn't leave any neighbour out, you couldn't leave, but you would have had 350 people and some of them you wouldn't know. So that might have been more intimidating, but walking down the aisle with just like your aunts bawling and... <laughs> Oh, sure, they're so they delighted to see you in the dress. They're very emotional, they're very emotional women, yeah. yeah. I really cried that day. It was, in, it was a beautiful church. It was in a little papal estate. Just seeing her come in the church door and be like, wow, I get it. It was so fresh, I think, and just so pure, if you know what I mean, yeah. the, the brightness of it, and just so different. There was something yeah. about the light. It came up almost blue, didn't it? And yeah. she came in the door and I just thought of Mammy that yeah. day. Yeah, I did. Most brides wear fake tan to give a nice whatever, you know. Normally, fake tan, you put it on and you wash it off and it's just barely there. But the dress came home and I washed it and was fine. I took it out a month later and the shape of Grania's back in tan was in the dress. And all I can think of was some chemical reaction with the intensity of the sun 
and the tan. And it took a lot of time and soaking to get it out. So we kind of at one stage banned fake tan, but now I think it was actually to do with the sun. Ride number six is Dervla. Dervla married John Malone, a Limerick man, a hurler and a rugby player. I think they met through sports as well because Derv was a fine footballer herself. We got married in a hotel. I suppose for the two of us, we didn't really like the idea of the church because we just felt it had nothing to do with our marriage. We just felt like hypocrites, like if we were walking down the church. You just felt like, you know, you were using the church. It was like people thought we had disowned the Catholic church, but it wasn't like that at all. It was just the only time we'd ever went to Mass together was... Um, <laughs> Was that a wedding, like, or someone else's wedding? Dervla was home in the summertime from Australia and had the dress and the other dress all planned, and, but had also bought a second dress for the evening. But when Dervla came home to get married, she was five months pregnant, and the magic underdress and magic wedding dress fitted her, but the other dress didn't fit her, so she didn't have another dress to change into. The ceremony was at, like, three o'clock, and it was New Year's Eve, like to so say it's the ceremony room here and the bar was there. So everyone went into the bar and we went off and got a few photos taken, but it just meant that everyone was drinking instantly at three o'clock and it was New Year's Eve. So it was actually drunk people I was afraid of because, you know, heels and stuff like that. But I was definitely like, I don't want to damage this. Like I, I was definitely nervous of it. The dress, like Cinderella, does not get to stay for the whole of the ball or wedding usually only after the bride and groom's first dance. The reason for that is that the brides are concerned about damaging the dress at this stage. I tell them not to worry because the dress is very robust because it's made in squares. Any square can be replaced. All of us now have done is wear it and then when it comes to the kind of rockers part of the evening and the dancing, you take it off. And so not to wreck it. And we've, you know, you buy another cheap, fancy dress, whatever, in its place so that it's not going to be destroyed or you're going to get heels through it yeah. and ripped and things like that. So we, we have all Plus done that. Drops, like yeah. over the day with the crochet, like drops down. Yeah. So it's getting longer and heavier. Yeah. So yeah. kind of like to dance freely, you wanted to take it off. Yeah. As soon as my first dance was done, Blahin and I just like took off sprinting through the hotel. My husband told me afterwards, he was like, he like I, was I had just done my first dance with my wife and I kind of took my eyes off her for a second and she disappeared. <laughs> and I was joking, you know, people were nervous maybe about speeches or whatever. I was like, Blahim was the only woman who had to cut yeah. someone out of a 50-year-old wedding dress yeah. at like 10 o'clock at night. But I remember even the morning after my wedding, Siobhan, Auntie Siobhan was like, OK, I'll take the dress now. And I was like, OK, right, I'm done with it. Like, as in, like, I've kept it safe. Bride number seven is Kira. Kira is married to a local, Kieran Burns from Kilachandra. And I think they met through the GA as well. She got married in Italy. I got married in Rome as well. But we, myself and Kieran, went to Rome completely on our own, just the two of us. And his it's so. Mum got married. Yeah, his parents got married in Rome, and Kieran had always said he wanted to get married in Rome. And I always said I'd like to wear the dress, but I never particularly wanted a wedding because I wouldn't like the idea of being just everyone there looking at me and 
you know, I I remember being at weddings and everyone's <gasps> and oh, this is so exciting or whatever. And I'm like, oh my god, that's my idea of hell. And then she came back after her honeymoon and had a party for us all in the park in Virginia, which is where my wedding reception was. And Kira actually was the person who started the tradition of showing photographs of the other brides on the table along with the wedding cake. And there was a girl working in the park and she saw my photograph and she said, oh, I know where that photograph was taken. She said, I was waitressing. She worked at my wedding and at Kira's wedding. That happened to be my 32nd wedding anniversary, I think. I'm one of what the younger generation call the aunties. The aunts every time... It- the dress comes out, they love to... to and then they're comparing stories. It is a running joke everywhere. And this Kira said, oh, here we go again. We'll be listening to the talk about this dress. You'll see us, the five of us, just chatting, telling stories. And this conversation starts around the dinner table at the wedding where the dress is worn and they're on. I helped with this and I was like... At the every wedding, <laughs> they let a roar up at the groom. The heck of- <laughs> if, they, oh, if the groom forgets to mention the dress, he's in trouble. <laughs> you never mention the dress. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Uh, no, no, they've been very gracious. You know, while we say it's a dress, we're all very aware that Maura was the first person to wear it. And they all acknowledge that. Bride number eight, Maura's daughter, Maureen, married to Ben Walsh. Ben was one of Maureen's brother's best friends and they've known each other for about 20 years before they finally got together. They had a do-it-yourself wedding. Marquis was hired. It was very plain and they created a wonderland in it. We had basically a sort of a festival type thing. So we hired a venue, brought everything in down to the salt cellars ourselves and had people there for three days. We had people camping, there were rooms, My brother had a wedding like that 10 years before, which was just brilliant. But of course, I should have talked to his wife, (laughs) who did all the work. And you see, the problem is that my husband was in San Francisco till the week before the wedding. All the decorations were done by Maura and Maureen and their friends. Friend did all the uh, invitations. Friend's daughter did the cakes. Pretty much the flowers. My mother's garden, she was growing the flowers, all her friend's gardens, like everything. We had Indian food and Maura made the apple tarts and with strawberries and cream, it was absolutely fabulous. My dad spent the eight months going around every supermarket <laughs> looking for all the deals on whiskey and gin and what vodka. Like he had drinks from the child. Yeah, for man, woman and child. Yeah. Sarah Lynch and her ensemble, that's our sister Maraid's daughter. I think she may have even written a piece of music for the ceremony. But I, I've actually just much mentioned that I actually didn't get married on my wedding day. That just I just remember that. A friend of ours married us, but we actually got married three weeks later. It was very difficult with him in America trying to organise it, and then we couldn't get anyone, so we just said, yeah, we'll just pretend to get married. Then we the went civil, to the registry. Yeah, yeah. The civil was like in Cavan Hospital, where yeah. it was at the time. With well, his, yeah, yeah with, with Ben's mum and my mum, and that was it. So we actually didn't get married. So I had three weeks to change my mind. <laughs> So bride number nine is Orla, Dirda's daughter. And she's married to Brendan Gallagher. I, th- I think Orla and Brendan met in night. We got engaged during COVID time. So actually when we got engaged, a lot of the bridal shops were actually closed. 
So even if I wanted to actually go looking for a dress, I couldn't have at that time. So then we went down to Sheila's home house to her mom, Siobhan, and she like, I, technically I don't think we were supposed to travel past her, <laughs> but we snuck down to try it on and I was like, actually, yeah, this could work. We got married in my local church in Cross Keys and Cavan, the church where we had a, kind of got, had been baptised and Holy Communion and Confirmation and whatnot, and my dad is buried in the graveyard right beside the church, so it meant a lot to me to get married from there. Just had the best day ever. Like It was kind of the middle of COVID as well, so there was a lot of people had to pull out of our wedding because they just weren't comfortable coming to a big event. And there was a lot of stress leading up to the wedding with numbers and all the restrictions and being lifted and not being lifted and all that. But when we got to the day then, you just kind of relaxed because you'd reached your special day kind of and full of fun. It was lovely to see people. A lot of people hadn't been together with COVID. So families hadn't met up, like aunts and uncles hadn't seen each other or cousins. And it was just so nice to be that excuse to bring people together. I think that's... Oh, like I have videos of like family, friends, like men in their 60s like absolutely going mental on the dance floor like because they hadn't danced in like a year two years yeah we kind of it was it was good yeah it was now we did get COVID <laughs> we all got COVID at the wedding <laughs> bride number 10 Sheila my daughter she married Tomas Burke he's a Dublin guy but we forgive him they had their ceremony in Kilishandra. I initially didn't want a church wedding and for various reasons we decided to go at one and actually I loved it. <laughs> mum and I were the, were the only brides to go up the same aisle and I had mum, dad and I, the three of us, went up together. She walked with us. Ted's a traditional musician and our kids play music and our son Porig played Sheila up the aisle. And I could see both mum and dad getting a bit emotional. I just, I thought I would be weepy on the day. I wasn't, I just couldn't stop smiling. I was like, this is brilliant. And mum and dad were both kind of getting a bit emotional and Blah kind of could see them, you know. And she's like, right, get it together, come on. We were grinning from ear to ear, we were so happy. Yeah, there was no, there was no tears, we were laughing and laughing. Where mum and dad got married, and where I got married, both venues, we had to go through Balanya, kind of the next town over, to get them. And the day of mum and dad's wedding, they had stopped for a pint in this particular pub, Brady's in Balanya. Mm -hmm. And she told Tomas this, I think, the night before our wedding. And Tomas was like, I really want to do this, you know? And I had, I would be probably a small bit too organised, hyper organised. So I had a run sheet for the whole weekend. So from the kind of rehearsal dinner thing the night before, right through till the end of day two, which I had sent to all of the siblings, all, all the wedding party. After the wedding, the photographer was like, look, we're ahead of schedule, we can stop for this drink if you want. So we ended up going in to the pub where mum and dad had gone in and it's like the next generation is there, it was his mom was there and we had great fun. The dress is behind the armchair I sit in, beside the French door. And the reason it's there is that if anything happens in the house, if there's a fire, we'd be able to reach it and get it out quick. The dress represents, for me, family. 
female genius, shared endeavour, and the quiet way of doing things, Maura said, as the blouse neared the waist. Maybe make a dress of it and get married. Mammy made the dress. While we worry that we might put pressure on some of them to wear the dress, some of them worry that they won't be able to wear it. That they're too tall, too short, too thin, too fat. Doesn't seem to be. Fits any woman, any stage in her life. It's a feminist dress, 